the gospel according to Mark chapter 3, and we'll be reading verses 20 through 35. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Then the multitude came together again, so much so that they could not eat bread. And when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, and they said, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of demons he casts out demons. So he called them to himself and said unto them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever, blas- uh, and whatever blasphemes they utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to inter- eternal condemnation. Because they said he had an unclean spirit. Then his brothers and mother came, and standing outside they sent to him, calling him. And the multitude was sitting around him. And they said unto him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them, saying, Who is my mother and my brothers? And he looked around at the circles of those who sat about him, and he said, Here are my mothers and brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. God's word for God's people, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, For the time that uh, we're going to spend together, I want to talk a little bit about the critics of craziness. The, the, The critics of craziness. Now, I like to watch a lot of television in my downtime. I have a DVR full of shows that I've not yet gotten to, but I'm going to watch them all. Uh, some, of the, some of my favorite shows are NCIS, uh, NCIS Los Angeles. I like Law & Order, and I like Law & Order SVU. But you got to watch yourself with Law & Order SVU because they like to start the next one when the other one's going off, and you'll be on your way out to do something, and let me just catch this one show, and you look up, and it's three or four hours in because you've been caught like four or five Law & Order SVUs all together. But I like to watch those shows. I remember uh, a particular summer, I watched uh, the entire O.J. Simpson pretrial hearings from my uh, grandmother's house. I was spending the summer there, and I would come in, and I'd watch the whole thing. The, the legal process fascinates me. Uh, I have a healthy respect for attorneys and what they do, and and just that whole process, it it fascinates me. I even at one time entertained going to law school, but I liked business classes a whole lot more than I liked law classes, so I ended up with a business degree. But I like to watch court TV shows, and one of the things I see on the fake court TV shows a lot, uh, they will try this defense. And they will try to say that their defendant is not guilty by reason of insanity. Uh, the insanity defense means basically that the 
uh, the, the defendant in question had a mental health episode of some sort, lost their mind, went crazy. And so because that, that happened, they should not be responsible for their actions. Works good for TV. Doesn't work well in real life because most of the time when you sit down in front of a real psychologist, they're able to prove that the defendant knew what they were doing and not only weren't having a, 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 a mental health episode, they, they knew what they were doing, they planned to do it, and they intended to do some harm, and they knew right from wrong when they did it. So the, the, the mental insanity defense does not work. They're, they're, for lack of a better term, they're not really crazy. But I thought about uh, accusing somebody of being crazy when I, uh, this scripture came up in the lectionary for this week. Uh, because it is kind of crazy. Uh, being a Christian is crazy. We, we as Christians are supposed to love our neighbors. Okay, that's not that bad. But we're also supposed to love our enemies. That, that's a little crazy. We're supposed to pray for the people who persecute us. That's a little crazy. We're supposed to give our money our own hard-earned money to help those in need when we could do other things with that money. That, that's a little crazy. We sit around and we believe in a God that we can't see, we can't touch, we can't talk to, but yet we still believe in this God. That's crazy. And then we're supposed to believe that 2,000 years ago, some man was born of a virgin and we've all taken, if we're in middle school or high school, we've all taken health classes and biology classes. We know that's not really how that thing works. But we're supposed to believe he was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, then decided willingly to be crucified for us, even though he was innocent. And not only that, why he was being crucified could have called legions of angels to stop it, but didn't. We're supposed to believe all this. And then we're supposed to believe that he died. And not only did he die, three days later, we're supposed to believe that he got up, came and visited some of the people that he was with, said some parting words, and then departed into the sky. We're supposed to believe that. That sounds a little crazy. And not only that, we're supposed to wait for him to come back. So if you really think about it, being a Christian is crazy. All of that to outsiders looks crazy, but yet and still, we still gather together on Sunday mornings and celebrate and worship that. And so when you do certain things that are out of the ordinary, when you do certain things that other people aren't expecting you to do, you can expect to be criticized and even called crazy because they did that to Jesus. You can expect to be talked about. You can expect to be second-guessed. You can expect to be hated on. Because they did it to Jesus, and we here are followers of Jesus, so we should expect the exact same. First part of the sermon, and, and I'll be out the way, he has criticism from his family. I like uh, the gospel according to Mark. Uh, as I read the Gospels and learn about who wrote them and when and where, I, I, I realize that they take on the personalities of their authors. And, and the Gospel according to Mark was written by John, a man by the name of John Mark who walked with Peter. 
And if you remember Peter in the Bible, Peter uh, had a bit of an anger problem. Uh, P P Peter was a little bit short with words. Uh, when the people came to try to take Jesus, Peter pulled out a sword. He always had a sword on him, had a little something on him, just in case. And he cut somebody's ear off, and Jesus had to take the ear, put it back on, and heal him. P Peter used some language that you wouldn't find in the 23rd Psalm or John 3.16. Peter was a little angry, and he was in your face about it. And so John Mark is walking around following Peter, and he got this story uh, about Jesus. And so that's how Mark kind of takes on his personality. Mark gets right to the point. Mark gets right to the point from chapters 1 and 2. Jesus hits the ground running in his ministry. And he's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. He's doing the work of the kingdom. And then we get to chapter 3 when you're in your reading. And his ministry has gotten some traction. And he starts to head out again. But he's so busy and so swamped that the, that the disciples can't even get a chance to eat. That's crazy. We shouldn't be so busy that we don't uh, take the opportunity to take care of ourselves. I've, I've come to the realization myself, uh, I, I have a very busy semester coming up. I'm going to be going back and forth to Dallas uh, to finish up my classes, plus still working and plus doing a bunch of other things. And so I uh, have recommitted myself to the gym, not because I want to, but because I absolutely have to. Uh, I saw a comic that really convicted me. Uh, it was a doctor talking to a patient, and he said, which fits your, your busy schedule more? Taking out an hour a day to exercise every day or being dead 24 hours a day for the rest of your life? So I've been getting back in the gym so that my body will be able to respond and being able to re, re, uh, reconfigure my time in order to do certain things. But the gospel according to Mark, it gets straight to the point. And as he gets straight to the point, Jesus runs into uh, some haters in his own family. I can only imagine the pain of trying to get something started and your own family won't back you. Not only will they not back you, but his own family was out in public trying to restrain him, saying he was out his mind. Now, I looked around and tried to check my, 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 my dictionaries and transfers and everything, and there is no translation, there is no commentary that says this was a hug or this was uh, something nice or uh, a pat on the shoulder. No, they seized Jesus to try to stop him from doing what he was doing. He, expect, he got criticism from his family. But this is what we have to expect. Everybody in our family might not be saved. And let alone everybody in our family, might, they might be saved, but they, not, they might not care about your particular brand of Christianity. They may not understand why it takes all that. You may be one that shouts and dances and everything else, and they don't like that. Or they may be the one that shouts and dances and thinks you don't have the Holy Ghost in you. I've learned that it's every style of worship for every style of person. But the, 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 the family, it happened to Jesus, and so it can happen to us.
This is real life, and everybody is not going to care for everything you have to say. Everybody's not going to care for everything you have to do. And Jesus' family thought that his zeal for the work of the kingdom was a bad thing, and that's why they tried to forcefully restrain him. But he kept on moving. He kept on praying. He kept on casting out demons. He kept on healing sick. He kept on opening blinded eyes. He kept on setting the captives free. He kept on doing his ministry. He kept looking to the hills from which came his strength. The one thing that he desired was to dwell in the house of the Lord. So he avoided and kept going regardless of the criticism from his family. And that is what we have to do. We have to press towards the mark of the high calling. We have to look at what we are doing for God in spite of what kind of criticism we get. And so he had the criticism from his family. And then he had the criticism from his foes. Uh, The Bible says in in the text that we read in uh, verse 3, I mean chapter 3 and verse 22, that uh, the scribes came down from Jerusalem and they were saying that he was casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub. Now, there's a layered insult in there when they call him, when they specifically reference Beelzebub. They were saying that Jesus' power was not only demonic, but specifically came from Beelzebub. Beelzebub is translated as Lord of the Flies. (laughs) The fly is not a particularly popular animal. I don't know anybody that says, ooh, I like these flies. We need some more flies around here. You never hear about a fly being used in any kind of positive connotation. They got songs that say, shoe fly, don't bother me. When you want to be nosy, you say, oh, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall. And when you want to be too close up in somebody's business, you say, I'm going to stick to you like flies don't help me, Holy Ghost. <laughs> Go ahead. They, they, <laughs> when they said he was Lord of the Flies, they were complimenting him. They, they put a compliment in there. Oh, you the prince of the flies. Oh, you the Lord of the flies. It was a layered insult. And now by saying that Jesus was Lord of them or or Prince of them, they were not only saying they didn't care what he did, but they were also saying that he was cheating to do it. It was was a layered insult calling him Lord of the Flies. The scribes were were, were critical of Jesus, and I've kind of come to an understanding of why. The scribes historically had some sort of uh, social status. They were the professionals of the group. They usually spoke multiple languages because they were the ones that would translate the scriptures uh, from one language to another so other people could read it. So they had to be able to read and speak multiple languages. And and, and they were able to read and speak multiple languages in a time when most people couldn't even read. I mean, we're reading now in the text, and if you can't read by six in certain educational circles, they're going to do certain things to bring you up. But back then, you could be grown and not read. And so here you have these people who are professionals and they expect, because they were responsible for interpreting the scriptures and uh, before the, the Hebrews were exiled, they were also in the royal court. These people had status. They expected to be greeted out in public. When people saw them, they expected people to come up to them and greet them publicly. And not only that, they were expected to get the best seats at the parties. They were expected to go to the VIP section of everywhere they went. 
And here these people are with all of this status, all of this education, all of this pomp and circumstance, and some 30-something-year-old carpenter's son is out here not only doing what they're supposed to be doing, but doing it better. Actually living it out. Casting out demons. Healing the sick. Forgiving sins. Setting captives free. Opening up blinded eyes. They couldn't stop him. So the only thing they could do was hate on him. But I've understood that, you know, dogs bark. Cats meow. Birds chirp. And haters hate. I can't get mad at the hater for doing what they do because that's what they do. I can only move forward and that's what Jesus did. You can't expect everybody to agree with everything you're trying to do. Uh, George S. Patton said, uh, if everybody is thinking alike, then somebody's not doing some thinking. And, and, And Jeff Livingston said, if everybody agrees with you, then you aren't talking to enough people. (laughs) doing things that are not considered normal doing these crazy things from Christ you can expect to hear some criticism the kingdom of God does not function by the same rules of the secular world so there is bound to be conflict but what do you do you keep doing what Jesus did and you press on and so these these foes that were criticizing him they had made an accusation And Jesus' response to the accusation was an answer. Jesus gave words of wisdom. He said, how can Satan cast out Satan? Now, I know I just gave some quotes about everybody not agreeing with each other, and now I'm about to go into some unity talk, but here it is. You can disagree with people without being disagreeable. There's a difference between trying to get an understanding of something and just fighting to be fighting. At the uh, Texas Annual Conference, they had a consultant come in uh, for the orders of the day. His name was Gil Rendell. He's a, a part of the Texas Methodist Foundation, and all he does is analyze his churches and see how they can improve and see how they, the members can get along a little better and see how they can better take care of business. And so these Methodist churches, and not just Methodist churches, because he counsels churches outside of the Methodist system, how they can all get on one accord. And so, (laughs) Gil Rendell told us a story. Uh, He was at one church at a leadership meeting, and they got to arguing with each other and fighting and yelling and screaming and all of this. And it got to the point that he banged on the table, told them, everybody, be quiet and breathe deeply for the next 60 seconds. And the person next to him at the table uh, once he heard that, he then began to look at his watch and count. He waited his 60 seconds. He was not in there for clarity. He, the person that was there was there to argue for sport. It was, it was entertainment to him. This is what he did. This is what they looked for. It, it, that is being disagreeable. But getting clarity is something else. We may not be disagreeable for the sake of being disagreeable. We ought to be able to offer some clarity. And that is how a house divided cannot stand. I um, am reminded of my job. Uh, My job has a uh, 
an evaluation uh, system that uh, is called the four P's. Uh, positive attitude, uh, performance, uh, proactiveness, and uh, people. No, process. Positive attitude, being proactive, uh, uh, operating at a high performance and, and, and operating from the right processes. Now, when it's time for my annual review, I will be reviewed on those four things. But positive attitude is 60% uh, of the evaluation. And the other three P's become four, 40%, the remaining 40. Uh, and the reason they do that is because they feel like we can teach you anything uh, in terms of engineering. We just need you to have a positive attitude about it. And like a week after I got there, somebody was let go for not having a positive attitude. So I know they mean business when they say positive attitude is going to be 60% of your evaluation. But what it means is that you, you don't disagree with somebody just to disagree. It says it in the handbook. What you do is if you have an issue with something, you can, you can criticize an issue or a process just as long as it's not personal, and you also offer a solution of your own. You can't just say you don't like something. You have to be able to come up with something in order to do it, in order to do better, and not just argue for the sake of arguing. So you have that, 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 that being, dis you can disagree without being disagreeable. And that is how a house can stay united and not necessarily divided. And he talks about the unity again in strong man's house. And you can't bind up, you can't rob a house or plunder a house without binding up the strong man first. Uh, I know I said I spend a lot of time on TV, uh, in my downtime, but I also spend some time watching videos on YouTube and Facebook, and, and a couple of videos I've seen recently definitely explain this, you, you need to bind up the strong man before you rob the house uh, situation. Uh, I saw a video of a, a husband and wife driving into a garage and parking in the garage, and the garage door was coming down, and it wasn't one of those garage doors that slides down, it was one of those where the garage door swings down, uh, and it's in like a fixed position. And so I say that to say that uh, the cameras were positioned in the garage, and uh, the car pulls into the garage, uh, the garage door starts to swing down, and so I see some hands catch the garage door and push it back up. And somebody walks up to the, so there's three people that come in, and somebody walks up uh, to the car door and tries to open it. And uh, lo and behold, three flashes come out of the, the uh, car door. <laughs> three, three flashes come out of the car door, and the person that opened the car door jumps and then starts running, and the other ones run again. They forgot, to buy, they forgot to bind the strong man. These people thought they were coming to rob the house, and they thought they were going to take some things from the house, but uh, the owner of the house was prepared for them, and he had a gun. And so when that guy opened the door, he caught three and ran, and the guy chased him out. I'm not condoning robbing. I'm not. I'm just, and I just say they robbed the wrong person because this strong man was prepared. And uh, that was that. They, they all ran, and he ran after them. But you have to, in order to 
bind the strong man before you try to do anything. They forgot to bind the strong man, and that's what Jesus was getting at. He had not yet bound the strong man, so he had not yet been able to do those things. And then Jesus gives some words of warning. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit is an unforgivable sin. Blasphemy, blasphemy, excuse me, simply put, is speaking disrespectfully against God. Jesus kind of dropped the parable language for that part. Said you could blaspheme a lot of stuff, but you cannot blaspheme the Holy Spirit. There was no story about trees and 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 uh, fish or any of that. Nope, right here. Let me let me get you straight right now. When you attribute the work of the Holy Spirit to the work of the devil, that is blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and that is the only unforgivable sin. There are other sins that you can ask for forgiveness for, but that one in the Bible is right there. It says eternal damnation or eternal condemnation and they thought that Jesus was committing blasphemy because he was out doing the work of the Lord he was forgiving sins and healing the sick and healing people on Sabbath and all of these other things so they took blasphemy very seriously there and Jesus had to get them straight he clarified it And that was the response to criticism. And after he clarified what blasphemy actually was and what he was doing, he went on to clarify a few other things in the text because the multitude was uh, then asking about his mother and his brothers and his sisters. And uh, got a seminary term for this passage, this uh, Mark 3, 31 through 35. They call it a Markin sandwich. They call it a marking sandwich because, uh, like I say, Mark gets straight to the point. He's boom, 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 boom with his story. So it's one story after another, and sometimes you think they are not related. What does his family have to do with the scribes, have to do with the people beforehand trying to restrain him, having to do with who are really his brothers and sisters? And it all comes together because people are worried about earthly things when they really need to be focused on the eternal. You have uh, actions of the family or who we think are his family, and we have the actions of the enemies, and we have the actions of the friends and whatnot, and, and this all coming together, but it wraps it up at the end and it talks about who is really his family. Started off with the family supposed to be acting one way, but then we find out what real family acts like. See, they were concerned about the earthly kin, but Jesus was more concerned about the eternal kin. You see, the house divided cannot stand, so those who are not working with Jesus, those who are not doing the work of Jesus, are not in the house. His true family are those who does the work of Jesus. Those that are willing to do the crazy stuff with Jesus are the ones that he calls his brothers and sisters we can be crazy and seem crazy about what's going on here and now but that is because we are concerned about the eternality see the earthly kin we're concerned about who grew up in our house you know you say if somebody's a brother or sister you didn't grow up in my house I don't know you 
That's what we're concerned about when we say we're about the earthly kin. But when we're about our eternal kin, we're concerned about the house not made with hands. Uh, 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 When we talk about the earthly kin, we are worried about getting enough attention from our parents. You can't hug one too much or kiss one too much or play with one too much or worry about that. They fight over attention from their parents. But the eternal kin, we know that God knows exactly how many hairs are numbered on our head. Earthly kin will fight over who's getting more food or the better gift. Who got the bigger birthday present? Who got the biggest piece of the birthday cake? Earthly kin will fight over that. But eternal kin know that God will supply all our needs according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. With our earthly kin, death is eternal. Or death is the end, rather. But with our eternal kin, we understand that Jesus hung, bled, and died for our sins. Was crucified, died, and buried. And on the third day, he rose again with all power in his hand. So that whosoever shall believe in him not, shall not perish but have everlasting life. That is what we as eternal kin are focused on. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come.